0: morning to those who are joining us online. We know you're out there. We see you. Glad to have you. We have some guests here this morning. Let me catch you up a little bit where we are in this sermon series. Here's our mission statement up here. Love God, love people, serve others. So this first quarter of the year, that's where our sermons have focused on. So in January, love God. In February, love people. This month, we're focusing on serve others. And we've already said previous messages. When you love God, When you love people, you will serve others and live a life of love. After all, the God that we love is a God of service. And we call this the providence of God, which means the provision of God. That's why the bumper before each message this month comes from Psalm 106. It's one of the many psalms that talks about the providence of God. He provides for all the creatures. He provides for man. He's providing for us right now. He's sustaining us at this very moment. He is a serving God. So, of course, we're going to be servants. Also, we've talked about how God equips us. He, the Holy Spirit has given every Christian a spiritual gift. What's it there for? Service. All right, we've been given a gift to serve others. Nate last week was talking about serve God with excellence. calling, was talking about the quality of our servants. We've, we've talked about sanctification. What's that? Theological word. The progressive process of becoming holy. As you serve and minister and me, we are being sanctified. God is using that in that process. For others and for ourselves. You know what I don't like is when a preacher talks about something, beats us over the head with a you know the Bible and says, do this, do this, do this, but doesn't give any practical steps on how you do that. So some may be thinking, All right, Steve, I get it. I'm supposed to serve others, but what's my niche? Where am I supposed to serve? Now many people have already found their niche, probably. You may have been in the church for years. You you have a ministry, it's identifiable ministry in the church to the church or to those outside the church but not everybody. Maybe somebody's thinking, I'm not sure where I can serve. Where do I fit? What's my part? Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 16, from him, Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So God wants the church to grow. Each part does its work. You can substitute member there for part. Each member does its work. It's part. All right. What's my part? What's my work? What's my ministry? I'm just going to make some suggestions this morning, how we might figure that out. Where am I going to fit? Where do I find my ministry and my service in a a local church? For most of us, that's going to be this church. So four suggestions. Number one, and I've got this outline on the back of your bulletin, by the way. There's an outline, some fill in the blanks. And and by the way, there is a grammatical error in that outline that I didn't didn't find it until this morning. So if you can find it, circle it, bring it to me and pour it out at the end of the service and I'll give you some extra credit. <laughs> Nobody's found it yet, by the way, or that at least told me about it. Okay, number one. One, we're talking about how do we find our place? Do what needs doing. What do I do? Do what needs doing. Acts 28, 1. Once safely on shore, we found out the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. And Paul gathered a pile of brushwood. Now, if you know the backstory here, Luke is recording this. He and Paul were on a ship that was shipwrecked, and the castaways wound up on an island. You know, a three-hour tour. Well, it wasn't exactly that, because it wasn't a deserted island. There were islanders there. They're shivering. They're cold. It's raining. The islanders build a fire for the castaways, the, the shipwrecked victims. And Paul goes, and he gathers brushwood for the fire, even though he's one of the ones that was shipwrecked. Now, my question is, who told Paul to do that? Who said Paul? No, we need some firewood over here. Why don't you go gather some brushwood? Nobody. Hey, was Paul exer- this was Paul's spiritual gift, right? He took a spiritual gift's inventory, and his gift turned out to be gathering brushwood. So he finally got a chance to exercise it. No. What did Paul do? Obviously, he just saw something that needed doing. Got a fire there. You got to fuel that fire. So he went out and got some brushwood. Hey, a, lot of, a lot of ministries are like that in the church. You simply look around, and you see some stuff that needs doing, and you can jump in and do it. Remember, everybody loves Raymond. I always liked that series. And I'm going to show you a little clip here. In this particular episode, Raymond and Deborah are at a Mexican standoff over a suitcase. So let me show you about a two-minute clip, and I'm going to come back and make an application of it.
1: Remember when Deborah and I went to Connecticut for the weekend? Sure, Raymond. I remember every one of your comings and goings. You're my whole life. You want to hear about it or not? Sadly, yes. All right, well, we go away, and we only take the one suitcase with us. And we had a good time getting away and everything. But when we got home, we were very tired. So we just dropped everything woke up the gruesome twosome that were here babysitting, (laughs) and went up to bed. The suitcase was sitting on the landing. That was two weeks ago. (laughs) So life just kind of went on, but then after a few days, I noticed it was still there. (laughs) But first I thought Deborah just hadn't gotten to it yet. But then it was like a week so why don't you just move it yourself well because i'm at work all day oh and what deborah's doing is at work yeah 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 you're mr sensitive (laughs) what i'm saying is that deborah's here she's walking by it a hundred times a day it should be driving her nuts by now well at that point i was like fine doesn't bother her it doesn't bother me Then, a few days later, I noticed her wearing a sweater that she brought with her on the trip. So? So that means she took it out of the suitcase. Is that passive aggressive or what? So you know what I did? I took my clothes out of the suitcase, too, and walked right in front of it. What did that do? Nothing. Then, yesterday, I stubbed my toe on the (laughs) d*** So, so I say to no one in particular, huh, that suitcase is still there? And she goes, yeah, I guess it is. (laughs) So now I definitely know, she's not just putting off moving it. She's, she's waiting me out or something. I'll let you in on a little secret. She's gonna be waiting a long time. So, what do you think? (laughs) This is insane. I know. What's her problem?
0: Okay. We can be pretty silly in our families, can't we? But let's just say the, the suitcase here represents something that needs to be done in the church. And, you know, you may see it and wonder, why didn't anybody do anything about it? Why didn't somebody move the suitcase? You know what happens sometimes? I mean, there may be different reasons why it goes undone. Some of us who've been here in the church for 10 years, or 20 years, or 30 years, we don't even see it anymore. We've just kind of learned. We've learned to walk around that suitcase. We've learned to step over that suitcase and just do workarounds. And then here you come. Maybe you're a new person. Maybe you're a guest. Maybe you're one of the newest members. you got a different perspective. you got fresh eyes. And you've got a reaction like Robert over there. Huh? Why didn't somebody just move that suitcase? So it could be something about the building. It could be some way we do ministry or whatever. And it just jumps out at you. You know, sometimes that's all it takes. That's the call of God. That's something that you can jump in and do. Well, I need permission. No. All right. I'm giving you permission. I'm giving you permission right now. A lot of things, maybe you do need permission or there's a process. But there are other things you can just jump in and do it and get it done. So, all I'm saying right here, we're looking for our niche. One way is just do what needs doing. One thing. Here's another thing do what you're good at. Do what you're good at. Romans chapter 12, verse 6. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So, if God has given you the ability to prophesy, then speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take it seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, then do it gladly. So, point being here, God's made you good at something, made me good at something, made you good at something. Everybody's good at something. And part of this here, Nate, that's what Nate was talking about last week. Do it well, serve well, give well. You know, whatever it is, do that well. But there is something, maybe part of our education, maybe part of our work experience, maybe part of our family background, or maybe a spiritual giftedness. To me, I don't think it makes much difference where it comes from, but we do certain things well, and we can do that for the church. Bob Mallett, in the first service, he makes little Christmas ornaments. I mean, he's good with woodwork. He got a lathe, and he cuts out these crosses, and he sands them down. He puts a 100 coats of shellac on it, puts them up on the web for sale around Christmas time, always sells out of his All of his inventory they're beautiful he takes that money all that money and he gives it to missionaries he gives it to Christian missionaries so he's he just takes something that he's good at and he uses it for the church Michael Phelps recognize that name he's won more Olympic medals than any swimmer also more than any Olympian of any sport fewer people know the name of Hisham El Garouche but he was a fantastic athlete in his own right El Garouche is a Moroccan runner who holds two Olympic gold medals and he's one of the greatest middle distance runners of all time. He's five foot six inches tall. Phelps is six foot four inches tall. Despite this 10 inch difference, these two men are identical in one respect. They have the same length of inseam. That is, their legs are the same length. How is that possible? Phelps has relatively short legs for his height, very long torso, the perfect build for swimming. Garouche has very long legs for his height, and a short torso, an ideal frame for distance running. Now, imagine if these world-class athletes were to switch sports. Could Michael Phelps become an Olympic-caliber distance runner with enough training? Could Algarouche ever qualify for the Olympics as a swimmer? No, (laughs) or at least extremely doubtful. The secret to their success is they chose the right competition for their body type. Same kind of thing when it comes to ministry. We want to have a satisfying ministry. We want to be able to go the distance in a great ministry, and have good return for ourselves. Hey, we choose things that we're good at, that we're gifted at, that matches up with our particular gift mix. And by the way, the way to dis- to discover that is to try different ministries. Don't sit back and wait, well, when I discover what I'm good at, then I'll plunge into a ministry. Try ministries and find the one that's a great fit. Do what he's doing. Do what you're good at. Here's another thing. Do what... You are close to. Do what you are close to. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek speaking believers complained about the Hebrew speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Now, if you know the backstory here, in the early church, you had Christians who had a Greek background, some had a Hebrew background. Here were these Greek speaking widows. They're being overlooked in the benevolence fund, sort of the daily distribution of benevolence food. So the Greeks bring that to the attention of the apostles. The Greeks are complaining. The Greeks they have the problem. They wound up the church chose seven men to administer the distribution of food. And when the names are listed of those seven men in this same chapter, they're all Greek names. So they chose seven Greek men to deal with the problem. Greek complainers. Greek issue, Greek solution. Why is that? Because the Greeks were close to the problem. They were close to the issue. Nobody cared more about these Greek widows than the Greek men. Well, that's kind of human nature. We're all close to different things. Because of your makeup, maybe because of your experience, your, your proximity, proximity is responsibility you're close to certain things. You care about those things. You're passionate about those things. And therein lies kind of an obligation and an opportunity to serve. I read a book on poverty alleviation called When Helping Hurts. That's the title of the book, When Helping Hurts. And the thrust of it was sometimes when Americans do try to help the poor, especially in other countries, we wind up doing more harm than good If we're not careful, one of the authors talked about a mission trip that he took in another country and they were building housing for this one family. And as he and his American missionary friends are, they're building on this house. There are two, three of the family members, able-bodied family members were just sitting there watching them work. And a light bulb went off and he said, wait a minute, what's wrong with this picture? Maybe we're doing more harm than good, not including them in the work. Habitat for Humanity is one of the things you got to love about Habitat for Humanity. Many in this congregation have worked on Habitat projects. To qualify for one of those houses, the person who's going to receive it has to do 300 hours of sweat equity. they got to work on other people's houses before any, they ever start working on their own house. And if there's another adult in the household or a child who's 18 years old or older, another 200 hours of sweat equity for them. They are investing. They're working. In that, because proximity is responsibility. You're gonna work at on what you are close to. We know Peter Benz in our church. Peter Benz has benefited from recovery ministry. He's been involved with recovery ministry. And as a result of benefiting from that in his own life, he started the Narcotics Anonymous Ministry ten years ago. That meets in this church. He's doing what he is close to. So so. You're close to something. You care about something. I mean, you may have children. if You have little toddlers or elementary school children or maybe middle school children or youth. We come to church. We want a vibrant, active Christian education program for our children and our young people. Well, Right now, it's hard because we don't even have a Sunday school classroom except for the trailer, and God bless those who are back there in the trailer right now. But when these things open up in, in May, you know. Like, God, please, in May, when these wings open up, we have all these classrooms, and we can do the graded Christian education. You know, the natural pool from which to draw volunteers, servants, ministers, is the, is the parents, and sometimes the grandparents of those children. Why? Because you do what you're close to. We can't, Those are the ones who care most about those children. I know there's exceptions. There are people involved in children's ministry and other ministry. They may not have a direct connection, but as a rule, in general, finding our niche, where we're going to serve, do what needs to, what you, what needs doing, do what you're good at, do what you're close to. And then the, finally, the fourth way is do what you're asked to. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, and then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. So every once in a while you get asked to do something in the church, in fact, we've got these little surveys, Sunday service opportunity surveys that were passed out today along with your bulletin, um, I'm going to give you an opportunity to fill those out and uh, fill them in rather and pass them out to the edges of the rows here very shortly. But that, that's an ask. Sometimes you're asked to do something in the church. In my opinion, most people are willing to help and volunteer if and when they're asked, especially if they're asked in the right way. I think most people are. Now, you might say, well, Steve, I asked people and they, they said no. Great, well, you found the exception. There's an exception. But in general, I think most people, especially church people, they want to serve. They want to help if somebody will come and ask them. Now, I'm not talking about just an announcement in the bulletin, hey, we need volunteers, and nobody volunteers. In my experience, people don't volunteer like that. I'm that way. Somebody makes an announcement in church, and I think about it for 10 seconds, and by the time church is over, it's out of my head. But if you come to me and you're in charge of some area of ministry and you buttonhole me and you say, Steve, we got this area of ministry. It's very important. It's going to impact a lot of people. I think you'd be good at it. By the way, here's the nature of your commitment. It will last about this long. That's when it would end. I'm 100 times more likely to say yes when asked, right, than in just asking for volunteers. Supper 8. Look at Louise and Ellen back there. They've been trying to get me involved in Supper 8 for what? Last five years or however long. And I, I would see the announcement and forget about it. And then they started buttonholing me when it comes up time to sign up. They buttonholing me back right there, Steve. You got to sign up at Supper Eight. I said, talk to Tammy. But they did. Then we got Tammy, and now we're involved in Supper Eight, and we love it. Glad we're doing, Glad they did that. Glad they did that. So that's kind of the nature of the thing. Now, are there reasons? Are there legitimate reasons for saying no when somebody comes and recruits you or asks you to do a ministry? No, there actually are not legitimate re- no legitimate reasons. And, of course, I'm kidding about that. There are some. There are some, obviously. And you can think of some. I mean, you may not be physically able to do something. You may already be involved in some ministry that you're passionate about. That's the case for a lot of people. You may be in a cycle of your life or a season of your life. You're so busy. And we go through seasons where we have more discretionary time, less discretionary time. You may be a guest. You may be visiting here on spring break. Actually, that's not legitimate. We want you to sign up anyway, even if you're a guest, not even a member. I gonna mean, pull you in. But there are, there are some reasons. But having said that, so I understand. You're not the devil if you don't say yes, and we can still be friends. But having said that, when somebody asks you, I would encourage you to think about seriously about saying yes all kinds of good reasons to say yes. I mean, reasons we've already talked about. It's the nature of God. We're created in his image. It's part of our sanctification. We've all been called to service and ministry, not just clergy. We're all clergy. We've all been called services, ministry. Those are synonyms. We've all been called to that. And it may be God. It may, when a person comes to you and is, is trying to recruit you, maybe God's at work there. Years ago, when Tammy and I lived in Oviedo, Florida, just on the outskirts of Orlando property, I I got out of the ministry for a while, sold software for several years. And we, were, we attended Metro Church of Christ in Oviedo. We, we were just church members like everybody else sitting out there. And uh, I, we'd been there about a year, and I wasn't doing anything. I was just going to church like everybody else, and I wasn't doing anything. And one of the elders, Vic Washburn, one of the elders there, approached me one Sunday after church. He said, Steve you know what? I want to say something to you. He said, we need you, Steve. We need you to step up and help us out, like in our adult education and maybe consider him being one of the elders here in the church. He said, uh, we know your background. We know you went to Bible college. You have a Bible college degree. You've been in preaching ministry. You've got some skills in that respect, and you're not doing anything. And He said, you've been here a year, so you've been able to relax and fly under the radar, but now it's time to step up. And I'm about to respond, and then he gives me the kicker. Hold on, Steve. <laughs> Before you say anything, why don't you think about this? This is not just me asking you. This is God asking you. <laughs> Woo! Vic, that's intense. Every church needs a Vic Washburn. Now, whether or not that was God asking me, you know, who knows? But he was basically saying, you need, you need to think about this. Maybe this is God's way of, of calling you to be, have more influence, more of an impact, step up in your service. And your ministry. And everything he said about me was right. And I needed to hear the challenge at that time. And it just may be that when somebody approaches you, who knows? Maybe God is using that person to move you into an area of ministry and service where you can have influence and impact and expand and broaden uh, your leadership. Leadership is influence on other people. One final thought How do you eat an elephant? Right? It's not a trick question. We all know how do you eat an elephant? one bite at a time. We've heard that all our lives. One bite at a time. It basically means you got to get started. But I recently read an article that said, do not eat that elephant one bite at a time. You should not do that. And a couple of reasons why. Number one, it's going to take so long, the elephant's going to stink eventually. It's going to rot, stink, because you can't eat it fast enough. And number two, you're going to get sick of eating elephant. Any food, no matter how good it is, after a while, you get sick of eating it I would think you get sick of eating elephant after one bite. But they said, "So what do you do? Instead of eating the elephant one bite at a time, you throw an elephant party. So you invite as many people as possible, you hack up the elephant and the parts sorry about that pass out the parts to the different people, and pretty soon the elephant's gone, and you can move on to the next elephant or the water buffalo or the giraffe or whatever else you have to eat. Now the point was he's ta- the point of the article was, when you have a big project, a big project, you divide that out you need broad participation and every church has a certain number when it comes to ministry has a certain number of elephants in that these are large ministry areas there's are some ministries one person can handle them all the time It's just a one person it's a one off but there are other ministries that require broad participation and these are the ones that kind of have indicated here on this survey they have they usually have to do it depends on the cycle and the season of the life of the church but they usually have to do with you know Christian education for children first impressions ministry worship ministry servers and those kinds of things a lot of those some of those are entry-level ministries Chris over here is going to talk about the concert Mark Schultz concert that's coming up next weekend that's kind of an elephant for us he needs almost 50 volunteers and he's got a lot of those but to do a concert like that takes a lot of volunteers these ministries take broad-based participation. And so what we'd like to do right now is just take, just take a a short period right now because you take this home. I know we'll never see it again. If you will just put your name on here and check something, some area of interest, especially if you haven't found your niche yet, uh, check that in. And then we're going to, we're going to gather these up during the offering time. So I'm going to give you 30 seconds to do that right now. That's right. Put your name on there. Even if you're a guest, But your, no, I'm kidding. Not our guests, but our members. Don't overthink it. Oh, Steve, I got to think about it. I got to pray about it. No, you don't. Don't overthink this. Just Put your name on there. Put a check mark. It's not mortgage. You're not signing for a mortgage. It's all volunteers. You're not committing your life away. You can always say you can try something and try something different. But if you would, fill that out and then we're, we're going to collect these a little bit later. Got it? Good. Let's bow for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a serving God. I mean, you don't just tell us what to do. You show us how to do it. Jesus showed us how to do it, feeding people, washing the feet of the disciples, cooking up breakfast, healing. And he's he's told us to be like him in these ways, in ways of service. We love to serve. We want to serve. We thank you for giving us opportunities to have influence and impact in, in loving, humble, godly ways in other people's lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.